Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune in to the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. When the mask's not adding up, you better check it out. I'm working to the ground. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Some other stuff, probably. And um, welcome back. So preseason is underway. Someone told me, and I, I, I had no idea really. Um, and everyone's full of love and admiration for all their favorite players getting snaps. And I assume. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's what's that's what's going on. I got nothing. I'm frustrated. One, um, I didn't get to go to the FF Expo. Uh, just don't have the free day. Instead, I ended up looking at 2021 through a much simpler and I think a better lens for what to expect at the wide receiver position, running back position, and tight end position. We're probably only going to cover wide receivers today because I got to get you out of here in 30 minutes. I know you got stuff to do. You run. You can only run for so long. Whatever it is you do when you listen to podcasts, dogs can't walk forever. You know. Doing well last year doesn't mean you're necessarily more or less likely to beat ADP the following year. That's probably because ADP is a function of us, where the stats are a product of the players, and we can read things incorrectly or badly. And overall, ADP is a fairly good, if you were to look at nothing else, ADP is going to give you a fairly good idea of how to draft players. There's relatively few players that are over underdrafted. In order to find that signal, frankly, stats just fail. And they just fail to say where we're being inefficient. It's where we get to that second part of the story, guessing that other 48% of the season to come, which is reality, which is that reality sometimes conflicts with what should happen. Um, And that's putting together a composite narrative based on as few assumptions as possible, because our reasoning is not going to get it done, to try and predict who's going to beat or underperform ADP expectation. That's what I come across every year when I go when I get when I'm getting ready for the season to start, I go look at my stats, I know what's predictive, I know how predictive it is, I know how many times things happen and how many times things don't, and I go and look for players who are being over and under drafted, and despite everyone having an article or video or podcast or nine of them telling you who is clearly over and under drafted, including me, it's not really defendable. It's not really it's not it's not that it's not defendable. It's not wholly true just looking at the statistics. Essentially, it says ADP gets it about right. Reality is just a difficult thing to predict. Um, But people and we can perform better or worse at projecting that 48% to 50% that we definitely don't know what's coming. The randomness that is reality. The randomness that is life. And it really requires you put all the pieces together into your own story, into your own vision of what's going to happen in 2021. And it's frustrating for a guy who definitely has recognized that reasoning is not going to cut it. 
too many things make sense but are not true. This guy's getting snaps in a preseason game ahead of this guy. That means he's going to get more work than we expected this season. No. This guy was drafted. No. This guy uh, like, has had a lot of positive things said about him. Why would a coach make? Nope. Doesn't work. Our reasoning of what should make sense because reality has more than variables that we can possibly take into account, which is why splits also suck, and it's not going to cut it. It just requires paying attention, building your own story based on as few assumptions as possible, because our brains suck at this, because what makes sense is very rarely true, because we tend to put it together into a story we want, instead of a story that's more likely or more likely to occur. And then you've got injuries. Don't even get me started. Rashad Bateman's killing me right now. Breaking my heart. All right, so what's all that saying? Well, I, I put it down. After a very long series of frustrating nights and ranting in the Discord server, I eventually just put it down. I was like, I do this every year, and then we create a list, and then we're disappointed in the list, and we do, you know, slightly better than 50% better than the field, and it kind of sucks, you know? So what if we follow, follow the reasoning, follow the logic? Why don't we actually do what we know to be the best or better process which is to take ourselves out of it as much as possible so this week on twitter and i've got a youtube video up about it as well and i've been posting the discord endlessly um because you know they they like me I, I like to think they like being annoyed by me over there in the patreon discord and um, what i've been creating is a f- way of looking at breakouts on a year-to-year basis so instead of thinking about hit rates instead i'm thinking about frequency how many breakouts at whatever threshold you want to mention for whatever position actually occur year over year i think it was a question on twitter it's just like what's more likely to happen this year a top 12 running back breaks out for the first time or a top 12 wide receiver and honestly i didn't have a great number off the top of my head despite having made that tab in the database and having done those video series i hadn't memorized it So I've made a YouTube video on it kind of summarizing the averages and the minimum and maximum we've seen since 2009 breakouts at each position um, and what that might mean for 2020. But let me give you a highlight of wide receiver. We see on average about three players break into the top 12 for the very first time, first time they finish in the top 12, uh, around three times every year. That's an average based on 2009. But some years we get one player doing that and some years we get five. So we've got a minimum and a maximum since 2009 of between one and five. Recently, over the last one or two years, we've actually seen one extra player break out into the top 12 of the wide receiver position over the last two years. So in other words, while the average is three, in 2019 and 2020, we actually saw four players break into the top 12 for the first time. Who was that last year? AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, and Tyler Lockett broke out into the top 12 for the very first time. Curious that Tyler Lockett only just broke out into the top 12 overall because he's been productive and an undervalued asset for a while now. But this is the first year he actually ranked inside the top 12 in his sixth career year. AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, obviously in their second year, both made it into the top 12. And Justin Jefferson, in his very first year, became a top 12 wide receiver, which is just awesome. In 2019, Amari Cooper, Devontae Parker... Juris, uh, Julian Edelman and Kenny Galladay all broke into the top 12 for the very first time the year before last. Um, Murray Cooper was in his fifth career year that year. Devontae Parker was also in his fifth career year, which is unusual because he hadn't broken out into a top 24 wide receiver before that point or before his first three years. Julian Edelman, 
Believe it or not, that was the first year he finished inside the top 12 on a season-long basis, even though, again, he'd been productive before. Kenny Galladay broke out into the top 12 for the very first time in 2019, and the only time he's been a top 24 wide receiver outside of that. So, what's the average? Uh, that made me curious. So, I was looking at players, uh, the average frequency of breakouts within the first three years to outside the first three years. And what I found is... And we can pretty much expect every type of breakout every year, except for at the quarterback position, but that's probably another podcast. And they have slightly lower expectation of breaking into the top five and the top 12. But every breakout, at least one version since 2009 of every breakout has happened. So a top five running back, a top 12 running back, a top 24 running back, and the same thing at wide receiver and at tight end. We've seen at least one at every position, which doesn't seem to limit the field much. But what I did find is some interesting conclusions that we were arguing about on Twitter was that if you reduce that to just players playing in their first three years, you actually use, lose about 20 to 40% of breakouts at the top five threshold. For example, last year, Stefan Diggs broke out for the first time into the top five. He was playing in his sixth career year. So if we were only looking at players playing early, you lose that top five upside. Now that actually seems fairly intuitive when you think about how you value players. We all liked Stefan Diggs last year. In fact, his ADP dropped way too far. I said it was too low. I had no idea how low I would have I would have definitely said that louder, but not claiming the only person I know who got Stefan Diggs right, rightly incredibly high was Casey Keenum. Check her out. She's cool. She's dope. She's at the FF Expo, so I hate her right now, but still. Anyway, um, it is interesting to know that if you're looking for the ceiling expectation, you should really stop thinking from a dynasty lens of players playing early in their career, which goes together with our knowledge that the average age of wide receivers finishing in the top 12 is 27. And it's not a random average or the fallacy of the average in that case. It's incredibly frequent that the majority of players in the top 12 at wide receiver are older than 25 years old. The eight rolls, and that is by far the commonality inside the top 12 at wide receiver and inside the top 12 in overall flex rank as well. Players who produce at the highest levels are older. We continually make people constantly afraid of wide receivers by the time they hit 27, and yet those are the guys producing the most points year over year. There tends to be between one and three players under the age of 25 in the top 12. Great, shoot for them. They have immense dynasty value, but if you're looking to hit more shots, you should be looking at older players. And so that goes together with the same logic that if you're looking for ultimate upside, those top five wide receivers, you should really be looking for players playing outside um, their first three years, as well as those playing inside their first three years just for that dynasty value. All right, so that's one of the conclusions I reached. The other thing is that um, wide receivers are much uh, uh, about half we're wet hmm, how do i say that two running backs break out for every one wide receiver inside the top 12 despite the fact that uh, running backs are actually a little more consistent or have larger repeatability inside the top 12 since 2000 anyway i'm just kind of throwing a lot of research at you that i ended up finding this year but gabe gearing was asking me about repeatability and he made me make more tables than I wanted to and eventually while doing that um, I ended up wondering if we could just combine the commonality of breakouts or the frequency of breakouts with career because one thing we do have seen before and everyone's posted it an age graph an age curve whatever and um, if we look at it from a hit rate lens we've got this definite dead zone of where wide receivers and running backs just stop breaking out it's not that they're not going to be good or have minute dynasty value but you'll very rarely see a wide receiver breakout at any point in their career after their sixth year. I mean, that's six full years. 
so we're already pretty much done with them but does that help bucket it between one and six years to create some kind of expectation for 2021 so i got to thinking about it and yeah it does it actually reduces players down to a remarkably reasonably small list considering you're not using many variables there and just players that play uh currently within year one to six and have produced at a previous level because something i wrote up for that dlf article looking at uh year three wide receiver breakouts is that it's actually more common for a player to have broken out at an earlier or lower threshold before they break into the top 12. And remember, we're seeking upside here for breakout candidates in 2021. And so you really should be focusing players that have at least had a top 24 season or even a top 36 season before. Much to my chagrin and Cooper Adams' chagrin over there on DLF, Jacoby Myers is the only one I can think of that really doesn't hit that mark in my current favorite undervalued players um, going into 2021. So, like I say, I'm just going to do wide receivers because I know I'm throwing a lot at you today. I mean, I've already mentioned seven different numbers. And um, who likes listening to numbers on a podcast? Audibly listening to numbers is not the way, right? This is not the way. So, let me shrink it down for you. All I'm doing is filtering by players who have finished inside the top 36 in a PPR rank full season long context before, which is a very slim very low bar for production history, who are playing within their first to their sixth career year in 2021. That's all I want. I also added in one little performance metric based on Blair Andrews' Rotoviz uh, research that we've talked about before, which is that players playing, especially early on in their career, who operate efficiently in fantasy points over expected, are more likely to see more work the following season. It's not a breakout indicator so much as a, an indication that being efficient is more likely to lead to the team providing you whatever they can to get you more opportunity. Remember, at wide receiver, it's not so much stats. Um, it's not so much targets as snaps for your opportunity to earn those targets, but still. So uh, I also included that. It's not a big threshold. It's just you have to have been over zero, efficient, more than expect, more points than expected on a per game basis based on Rodoviz's uh, expected points per game model. Blair Andrews says it is probably true. Also, I read it and it's true. Anyway, so um, those are the three criteria. You have to be playing between year one and six in 2021, which is a really wide range, right? You have to have performed at least at a top 20, top 36 level in uh, PPR points before now. And you have to have been efficient on a fantasy points per game over expected um, level in 2020. That's it. What I got is a list of nine names, which is not many when you consider that looking at a much more holistic, much broader range of outcomes based on ADP that I was telling you earlier, pretty much created a list of a million players that could out or underperform ADP and it was providing fairly little help. So what I'm going to do is tell you those names and then I'm going to tell you another list of wide receivers that are particularly interesting based on the same research. So players who might break into the top 24. And remember, you can finish as a wide receiver 2 or the wide receiver 8 or the wide receiver 15. And all of those are top 24 seasons. So I'm not limiting the potential here. And um, this is just the bottom level threshold that includes the most. So going into 2021, those who meet those three most likely criteria with none of my assumptions built in. I'm not doing any of the work here. This is just who has most often broken out in the past based on career year, a minimum threshold of production of finishing in the top 36, and whether they were efficient the following season. That's it. 
Brandon Ayuk, Corey Davis, Curtis Samuel, Debo Samuel, Marcus Brown, Mike Williams, but we'll come back to him, Sterling Shepard, T. Higgins, and Will Fuller. That's the list of names. In case you're not in a position to write them down, don't worry about it. It's on a YouTube video. But um, I'm actually going to highlight which ones are actually more interesting than others. So if you're looking for a pen, don't worry. Well, I'm going to repeat them again. Now, I said Mike Williams, and I know a bunch of you may have thought, yeah, I've heard that. No, I'm completely out on the Mike Williams is suddenly going to be a largely different player in 2021 because Justin Herbert, especially since anyone making that argument is probably willing to let Keenan Allen fade because age and age doesn't make you worse. It just means you're more likely to get injured. That's literally it. Um, But still... That's not the Mike Williams you're thinking of. That's the Mike Williams who no longer plays in the NFL. It's just that I'm looking at names instead of IDs. He actually still technically meets this criteria because, again, it's a fairly wide criteria dragging in everyone who has stats uh, from 2020 season and the name is just getting mixed up with the Mike Williams who still plays. I don't think Mike Williams counts, but, you know. Just in case you've drafted a lot of them, we can pretend if you like. Sterling Shepard is interesting, but I'm kind of out because I think he has pretty much hit his ceiling. And all the other names are basically the most talked about breakout names. And that to me seems to confirm something of the process since it has literally none of my assumptions built into it. This is just which players most conform to the types of breakouts we see most often. And it creates a relatively shallow list. And and most of them conform fairly well to the names that much smarter analysts who watch the tape and stuff are already talking about. I think Curtis Samuel is interesting. I personally haven't been on Curtis Samuel, but I know Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies has mentioned him. He does have that rushing element to his skill set, more interesting than a lot of those players. So I don't hate him turning up on this list. The two names that stick out to me most are Corey Davis and Marcus Brown. As far as I know, I am the only masochist out there who has written positive things about either of those two players going into the 2021 season. So we're just going to tick both of those as PA Howdy specials. If anyone remembers the joy of Corey Davis season last year, I think that's about what we can expect from Corey Davis and Marcus Brown. Both have been so tantalizingly close to finishing as top 24 wide receivers in their career. Corey Davis last year and in his second year, Marcus Brown last year hit a 25% target share and finishes like the wide receiver 25, just like one player away, just like Corey Davis. And they're kind of my guys. I think we shouldn't expect them to be the ones that break out with a lot of points. They're not going to be huge different makers, but I think they're definitely undervalued in Dynasty right now, and they can provide much more production than they cost, either in trade or in a startup. And so, yeah, I'm adding them to teams where I can get them at their current value. But removing all those names from the list, because again, even I can admit you're probably not expecting as much production. There is not as much ceiling for Corey Davis and Marcus Brown as there is for Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, interestingly enough, from the exact same team, and also, I think, the only one who's written positive things about him this season, and T. Higgins and Will Fuller. I think that's what that list boils down to as potentially earning their first top 24 season. So, again, just in case you haven't found the pen by that point, Will Fuller, T. Higgins... Brandon Ayuk, I think, are the names that really pop off this list. And maybe a little notation that Debo Samuels, hey, 
I really think he has a path to volume in the volume in that offense, but he's nowhere near as tall. And I know you all like really big wide receivers, so none of you care. Uh, and I think Brandon Uke performed so well last year. I also agree with his ADP. I think he's got a lot of upside. I'm drafting him there in baseball. I get it. But I'm taking some shots where I can at Debo Samuels because, again, I like to remove my assumptions. So just because I think that I know that the offense would benefit from using Brandon Ayuk more than they did last year on the outside, even with Debo Samuels taking up a shorter air taking up most of the shorter area work in that offense they should definitely focus on uh retooling their offense to cater to brandon Ayuk's skill set i'm not on the coaching staff and neither are you and neither is anyone that plays fantasy who wants that to happen so maybe in the off chance that carl shanahan doesn't entirely rewrite his offense purely to cater to brandon Ayuk, debo samuel is not worth forgetting and and yeah you know Maybe a few little asterisks is down there just to make P.A. Howdy acquire Corey Davis and Marcus Brown somewhere just so you can get angry at me when nothing happens. There are some also some really interesting names in the top five list. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, who broke out last year for the first time into the top 12, and Kenny Galladay, who I have been saying has top 12 upside because he's finished in the top 12 before, but even now he's within the career arc of he could be expected to hit a height of production. And same with Amari Cooper as well. This is actually prime time for their career. Now, obviously, you've got to read those individual situations. I'm very curious and not overly optimistic about the Giants. But it could happen, and he has that in his range of outcomes. And his ADP has definitely not risen to the area that he's too expensive to go invest in if you're particularly invested in that situation or think about it more positively than I do. Juju Smith-Schuster also turns up on that list, and even I can admit, yeah, probably, probably not. But I still think he's a really strong ad. If you're buying him from outside the top 36 prices or in a startup, he's an easy stick him on your roster. At worst, this time next year, you have... Juju Smith-Schuster, who did nothing in the 2021 season, but he's got two top 24 seasons, one in the top 12. He's 25 years old. He'll be 25 years next year. I mean, that still has value at his current ADP, even if he does nothing this year in Dynasty. I insist. But yeah, I like seeing his name on there. In the top 12 category, as in those that fit the most likely and most common breakout into the top 12 based on career year, former production, and efficiency, C.D. Lamb is in there. I, I really don't think he's going to pay off on that production expectation. But again, I also don't think his value is going anywhere. Uh, like I It has to be a personal or off-field issue that would make him easier to trade for this time next year, even after he disappoints in the production category. And by disappoint, I mean he's going to be great. He's just not going to end in the top five. At this point, that's where we're drafting him. Someone with that level of upside, with Amari Cooper in the prime of his career, with more likely top five upside based on career arc, I, I, I don't see it, especially Michael Gallup being phenomenal behind him. It's just too much to expect, but we're expecting it on ADP. But his value isn't going anywhere, so he's this really interesting 50-50 bet in ADP right now. Uh, Cortland Sutton, Chase Claypool, DJ Moore is another interesting name I mentioned in a minute. Robbie Anderson, Terry McClellan, who I've also written up this offseason, uh, and Tyler Boyd also make 
based on career arc, if you want to call it that, and a potential to be one of those most common breakouts into the top 12. I'm not highlighting their names exceptionally. Those top 24 just seem like a better list to highlight um, because most of those other guys are fairly well valued. Terry McCollum is basically the Nick Chubb of wide receiver in that I think... I thought most people wouldn't have them in the top 12 and I would go invest in them heavily. They are ranked by ADP in the side. Top 12, every trade offer I have sent values them like incredibly strongly in the top 12. But in your league, your mileage may differ. And so I do think trade offers for Nick Chubb are probably going to go on deaf ears. But Terry McClellan, based on DLS Trade Finder app... There's some really weird trades going on with Terry McCollum. That's what I see. He's not being traded like C.D. Lamb or Calvin Ridley, if you want someone slightly more expensive, within the top 12 at the same age. And it's because Terry McCollum is slightly older and slightly lower drafted. He has a C.D. Lamb profile at a Calvin Ridley age. It's a little weird. I get it. But that also means there's a potential value opportunity. And he is entering his most common breakout year into the top 12 and meets these minimum thresholds on this very short list of nine players who could uh, break into the top 12 uh, in 2020. All right, uh, before I get out of here, I wanted to point out the other type of players I tend to hunt, not those that just meet minimum criteria and actually whittle down the list fairly well. Um, I was looking, while I was doing that, I also created a table that would pull up players who have already broken out at those thresholds who played last year because there are breakouts and then there are players who have already broken out those are actually the ones who are more likely are i think of as more likely to produce at all especially in the future over the next few years now most of the names you know there's some fun ones like all the players with a top five season currently on their record and that played in 2020 include aj green I get it, he's basically synonymous with a fourth-round pick at this point. I get it, but Antonio Brown's on there, who I really do think could surprise some people in 2021. But that's not the category I want to talk about right now. Something, just based on the way I wrote the formula, something interesting happened um, in the top 24 category again. Only three names came up. And I was like, there's a lot more players that played last year that have more than one top 24 season. And because I'd accidentally written the formula um, with players with more than one instead of more equal to one you don't care about the algebra and i was only looking at players who've had at least two top 24 seasons but have not had a top 12 season yet that makes sense they've had two top 24 seasons they're playing inside their first six years in their career and they haven't yet broken out into the top 12 if they ever will and only three players turned up and it was dj moore robbie anderson and tyler boyd I love all three of those players. I'm a little hesitant on DJ Moore, because while he's been phenomenal in terms of yards, he's yet to break into the top 12. That's why he's on this list. And it's kind of, again, three years is usually the range I look for top 12 players. And that third year is the most common year for breakouts. And after that, it tails off quick. There's very few breakouts into the top 12 that happen after year three. Tyler Boyd's also on that list. They just look like players who are not going to meet that level of production. But... Tyler Boyd you get a strong discount on because he's well past that year three mark whereas DJ Moore is still young and hip and cool enough that he's getting drafted inside the first four or five rounds Robbie Anderson you get a discount just because everyone hates undrafted free agents except for me so yeah 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 you shouldn't hate Robbie Anderson but there you go but it did make me wonder exactly how many players have been productive as these three and never had a top 12 season so of course I did did what exactly what you expect 
expected I did. I went and looked up every player who's had at least two top 24 seasons since 2000, been drafted since 2000, which created a list of 75 wide receivers, and then I filtered for every single one that has not had at least one top 12 season, and out of those 75 players, I came up with seven names, and the three that I just mentioned, Robbie Anderson, Tyler Boyd, and DJ Moore. That's that's a low number, you know what I mean? Like, if you have two top 24 seasons, you kind of expect that they should have a top 12 season on their resume as well. Again, those who produce are more likely to continue to produce. Those who produce for two years inside the top 24 are much more likely to finish inside the top 12, eventually compared to the, someone who's never done it before by the time you get to year three. So these three seem like one of these seven outliers. But... Digging into it a little further, the only player I could find as productive as Tyler Boyd, DJ Moore, or Robbie Anderson on that list of seven players without a top 12 season for the rest of their career was a guy named Corum Robinson. And I know you, you've been playing Dynasty since the St Stone Age, and so you're laughing at the fact I have to call him that guy. I'm sure you know all about him. Jared... Uh, anyway, I'll get back to who else is on this list, but he's the only one with two top 24 wide receiver seasons before year four. Now, Robbie Anderson's taking a little longer than that. It took him till year five, but again, he's much more underdrafted. Lance Moore is the only other guy on the list who was undrafted and took uh, eight seasons to have two top 24 seasons. And um, Robbie Anderson's done it inside five years with a team change and even changes dot to deal targets for vacated truthers out there um, from other players in order to break into the top 24 again in year five. I think Robbie Anderson looks very different than Lance Moore in terms of a production profile, and I think Tyler Boyd and DJ Moore look more... They don't look like any of the other seven players on this list outside of Corum Robinson. So I went and looked at Corum Robinson a little bit. He had a substance abuse issue, or at least was flagged for it, missed time. And after that year three, he never really played a full complement of games. So the one player on that list that failed to produce a top 12 season who was as productive as Robbie Anderson, Tyler Boyd, and DJ Moore was a guy who basically saw his career derailed by a suspension and then never played a full season before and bounced around a couple of other teams. I'm not going to pretend I read an entire history on this guy. That's just what I saw quickly while glancing at his Wikipedia article because I assume you would know more about it so you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't need me to do the full history report on it. What does that mean? Is Robbie Anderson, Tyler Boyd, DJ Moore all going to break into the top 12 next year? No. No, probably not. Probably definitely not, especially when you take their situations into account, right? Robbie Anderson, uh, where does he play now? Carolina, right? He's got DJ Moore and a fresh new rookie right, right off the boat who's just a player who played at a really fancy school for sure uh, and has some great per-game splits. I, I can't do it. Uh, I really hope Terrence Marshall breaks that this has never happened. Stop using splits argument because I'm tired of having it every year, but... I'm out on him personally, but DJ Moore is definitely good, and, and there's no reason that Robbie Anderson should be expected to finish in the top 12 in that particular situation with Sam Darnold. He's also really, really undervalued in ADP with that potential range of outcomes and a decent floor threshold based on he's incredibly productive so far based on where he's been drafted and which career year he's in. I'm just throwing it out there. Tyler Boyd, I mean, he's got... Freaking T. Higgins, who's on the top 12 list this year that I just made, and Jamar Chase, 
who only played one season in college, but does look like one of the better prospects to come out, and probably the only one from this class that really compares to the 2020, the top of the 2020 class. So yeah, that's a little hard, but he's also the veteran presence who has, again, the volume role clearly locked down in Cincinnati with a quarterback who, if he's healthy, should be better than anything he's seen before. And again, you're already getting a fairly different, uh, decent veteran discount on Tyler Boyd. So I just wouldn't be afraid of drafting him currently when you see him on your draft board or in your... Like, I think he's a name worth not being afraid of, much like Jarvis Landry. Um, and DJ Moore, I'm now off the he didn't break out before year three train. Because again, most breakouts happen there. He's been disappointing. But his ADP also did drop around after that disappointment. And he is more productive than any player, and definitely better in terms of performance statistics, than any player I can find um, who never broke out into the top 12 threshold. And again, Curtis Samuel's gone. I'm not a huge believer in Terrence Marshall, but even if you are, he's a rookie, so we're hoping for 600 yards here, not a lot. I'm a big fan of Robbie Anderson, but the team just drafted another wide receiver, so it doesn't speak well to the guy who has no draft cap. Either way... I think DJ Moore has the skill, the talent, and looks so different than every other wide receiver or hasn't yet broken out for a top 12 season by year three with this man in production that I think he's just a, uh, just a horse of a different color. So I'm kind of back in on the DJ Moore trade. I added him to the draft targets list in the ADP database. And uh, yeah, let's go DJ Moore, I guess. Anyway, um, I thought that was all interesting, especially because using very slim criteria that I literally have nothing to do with, you break down the situations after you see the list. This is a list I'm going to maintain going forward. Um, anyway, I'm going to get out of here because this... I gotta cut this thing down to 30 minutes, um, and uh, next week we'll talk about r running backs, maybe, I guess, using the same criteria. Uh, thanks for checking out. If you did, really appreciate it. It's on YouTube. It's in your podcast feed. We're everywhere, but we, I, it's just me. Seriously, I've got to go to the royal we day. Uh, anyway, I'm out of here. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Talk to you next week. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. You got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, no Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical